right, we can make a distinction between um, attachment and clinging. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we want to make a distinction is because most people, when they get in touch with Buddhism for the first time, they think that um, <clears throat> clinging must be very bad because the Buddhists talk about it, and my word for it is attachment, therefore I shouldn't attach to anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's actually not the right way of looking at it. There's another way of looking at it in the sense that rather than uh, using the word attachment, which is kind of... Um, limp wrist or um, doesn't have much power to it and yeah. so write a really powerful word so that we can understand it and so I'm going to use the word addiction yeah okay. because that one almost always has a really bad connotation to it yeah which is pain and it also has the quality of um, long duration difficult to deal with and causes much and great suffering over and over and over and over again. But we can also see that, wait a minute, what we're talking about here is something within each one of us. That there is a, um, you could call it a uh, life force or um, a will to live or uh, an energy that is um, rooted in and supplied by the self-preservation instinct. So there's certain things that need to be done in order to preserve the instinct. So there is a basic drive inside of each one of us. If we apply that drive to one thing or one or two things in a very small group, then one can say one is addicted. And there's many different ways to get addicted. One was we to addicted to alcohol, and there's various ways to addict to alcohol, but people can also get addicted to um, uh, their work. Mm-hmm. They identify with their work. They've all got their work on their mind all the time. They're addicted to it. Some people get addicted to a certain kind of feeling or thought form. Some people, in fact, would get addicted, can get addicted to a politician that they support. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there's many different kinds of addictions, but all of them that we've examined so far all have the same quality is a, a negative outcome or that it's got some dukkha involved with it. But there are also wholesome addictions that we never really consider. Mm-hmm. And that the Buddha actually gives a direct reference to one of them in a whole group of suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya, starting with 131, 132, 133, 134. And the, uh, the theme song of this is One Fortunate Attachment. One so fortunate. One fortunate attachment. Okay. Okay. Um, 
in the Pali, it actually uh, uses the word night in the sense of one fortunate night. But we're using the word night here in the way that you would uh, have a hotel room. That you don't take a hotel room for the day, you take it for the night. Right? <clears throat> okay. But you can stay in it up until checkout time. Yeah. And you can move in and check out time, or you can keep it by the day or the night. So in the Pali language, when we're talking about that kind of night, we're talking about a kind of a day. Mm. But we also understand that in the time of the Buddha, they didn't have any clocks. Yeah. And so they measured things kind of by the day. So when he says today, he's basically saying now. And that this is something one fortunate attachment is to attach to right now. What's happening here now? This is, a, this is a fortunate attachment. The way that it talks about the Four Noble Truths, in many places you could say the Four Noble Truths is actually something that's worthwhile attaching to. Yeah. Or you could expand that into just the Dhamma in general. And so when we become attached to the Dhamma, that means that we're seeing things now through a different perspective. An example of that, that someone is used to be an alcoholic, they saw things the way an alcoholic does, now he's in the Dhamma, and he sees things through a different, different way. He's got yeah. a new view. He's got a new way of looking at things. And so this is what we mean by uh, attachment to the Dhamma, but we can do it uh, with several different layers. One of the layers that we can have is in the sense of the time duration. And the example that the Buddha uses is that even though the young monk has uh, what duties, like sweeping uh, the pathways or whatever like that, still he has his mind and eye on the Dhamma. He's thinking about the Dhamma, mulling over the Dhamma. And then another analogy there is like a cow who has a new calf. And that even though she's eating grass, she has one eye on that um, uh, calf. And so we can see it like that, too. So we can, we can see it in the sense that it's protecting us. Or we can see it as is that it's something that needs protection. It is like a calf that we're taking care of. Mm. And, and so uh, in, in the process of coming out of suffering, it's very, very much like a calf that we're guarding. Because at any point in time, the calf can get into trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But... When we have that kind of attitude about it, then the next level is referred to then as eagerness. That we're eager to see the Dhamma, we're eager to talk to the Dhamma, we're eager to listen to the Dhamma, we're eager to think about the Dhamma. While we're, th while we're driving the car, we think about the Dhamma, we're enthusiastic about the Dhamma. Because basically while we're doing that, we're having wholesome thoughts. Yeah. Okay. So, in fact, what we do is we actually intentionally and with good results become addicted to the Dhamma. 
It becomes a lifestyle. And so anyone who goes all the way to uh, becoming, you know, a Westerner, becoming a Buddhist monk, that means he's willing and making a public statement that he's actually changing his lifestyle. Now, many of them actually don't make the real lifestyle change. He can put the robe on and stay in the watt, but while he's, while he's sweeping, he's sweeping. Yeah. He has the real change that while he's sleep, sweeping, he's actually being a Dhamma bomb. He's being in the Dhamma. And so these are things that are wholesome that are worth attaching to. But the things that are unwholesome are not worth attaching to. So um, there's actually a sutta that uh, is very useful for students to understand because they think that sitting meditation is the only way to do it. Yeah, I used to think that. But the Buddha is actually very clear about it, so that over time a a sutta developed where the senior monk is telling the junior monk that in fact there are five ways to reach first jhana. And that first jhana always have the same constituents, it has the same components. And that uh, there is a way for you to go through those components. And it doesn't matter which order you go through, but there is a natural order for you to go through. And that is by becoming really delighted with the Dhamma, listening to the Dhamma, taking inspiration in the Dhamma, which means the inspiration is the energy that is kind of transmitted between the two speakers, the teacher to the student, and the student gets really enthusiastic. Yeah. Okay, this enthusiasm now, that momentary enthusiasm or that um, life force that we all have now is roused up for the correct practice of the Dhamma. Yeah. So with that arousal is the, um, you could call it insight, or we could go so far as to call it inspiration. Mm. But the the mind changes. And part of it has to do with the can-do attitude. And so pity arises. Mm -hmm. And with pity comes um, relaxation. Yeah, I can do it. We have that confidence. And with that, sukha arises. Now, in that regard, what's happened is, is because we've been paying attention to the Dhamma, the mind is already in wholesome thoughts. It's not in hindrance. So we've actually put it there. So when we kick this thing off, the kickoff is the gladdening of the mind of the inspiration. Aha, I can do it. Almost always that is associated with a natural deep in-breath. I can do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with that comes the relaxation of the body, the can-do attitude, and the uh, the sukha of contentment. That yeah, this is good stuff. This is dumb. And the student naturally then goes into first jhana. That we don't need to sit on the floor for so long if we know what we're doing. Yeah. 
over time, over time. Mm -hmm. Just right. like all the to focus on the wholesome and to stay in the wholesome as opposed to um, just merely dwelling on throwing out the unwholesome. Yeah, yeah, because we think that it's, I feel like when I see a thought, of, it's like a negative thought and a positive thought are like the same thing, but just from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. Like you can change it, but it doesn't mean that it's not a thought. Like it can change, but it doesn't mean like, like, so uh, you know what I mean? here we have a different yeah. question to ask because you're asking that that question is the right at right question, but it's not the only question to ask a little deeper investigation into the sense of is this thought wholesome yeah. or not or not. Yeah. Okay, not whether it's a good or bad or a wrong thought or a stupid thought or whatever like that, but is in fact this thought, is, is it going to lead me into a state of sukha? Yeah, and I don't, like, when I think of wholesome thoughts, like from when I started to think, um, do it like you said, like I thought, I, I would think like wholesome has like, in, are in the three characteristics. Like when you contemplate on that, only and not anything else like of course you can like things and enjoy like just general happiness but i'm talking about when you intentionally start to investigate and start to intentionally think i always think in terms of those three like the uh um no satisfaction in those things mm -hmm. and then no self and then impermanence you use the word concentration, and generally I've got to pick up yeah. on it. That's oh, no, no, I use the intention. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yes, when, um, and that we, instead of saying uh, concentrate on the wholesome, we could say it like that, but a better way of just saying it is, is that we, um, we investigate and guard to make sure that the thought is in fact wholesome as opposed to unwholesome because unwholesome is going to lead us out of this state of joy and if it's wholesome it's either going to help us create or stay and maintain the state of joy yeah yeah okay and to see how valuable the dhamma is we can actually do the investigation with the Eightfold Noble Path in mind, in the sense of, how's my right effort? How is my right attitude? Have I yeah. do, do I really have the attitude of a lion? Do I really feel like I can do this? Do I have that level of success? Okay, so these are the kinds of things, and this is all very wholesome, is asking those questions. Do you have it? Because generally the answer is, well, now that I'm thinking about it, yes. <laughs> when I'm not thinking about it, of course, no, I don't. I'm off in the hindrances again. Yeah. But while I'm actually thinking about it, there it is. And so this is a major part that a lot of people don't understand is about that we have to have wholesome thoughts. And if we're already in a conversation with the teacher or we're just, we can actually be driving down the highway. And really intent on the Dhamma, and, and then a big belly laugh. Ha! I got it. I can see it. Okay. That will arise 
because yeah. we're thinking through things and really enjoying it. So, um, seeing the Dhamma as something wholesome, then we can look at it from the perspective of this is the first noble truth. This is the second noble truth. Okay, what do I mean by this? What's happening? Okay, yeah. so when dukkha arises, this is dukkha. And this is where it comes from, investigation. And then we breathe it out, and then we say, ah, oh, this is what it's like to be free from that. So we really begin to investigate the four noble truths in the, in the present moment of it. Yeah, this is it. I'm free from suffering. Yeah, and it's it's funny I feel because really good now. <laughs> yeah, and like as soon as I started to do that more, when you made it clear that that's all, like that's a lot, you know, that's just so much of what you need to be doing. Is uh, what's weird is like it feels like I don't know how to explain this, but it feels like my sense of maybe awareness is more interior. Does that make sense? Like, it's not as much as focused it on... It actually is going to move around, and if you think you can catch it, good luck. Yeah, but it feels like... It will yeah, like, move... Yeah, like back. Like, uh-huh. All right, a lot of people have the idea that the consciousness then is somewhere behind the eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I was about to say that as well, that we put a lot of strain on our eyes. Uh-huh. And a lot of other people will talk about it in the sense of between your ears. Yeah. Okay, so now we've got something going. We know that it's behind the eyes and between the ears somewhere. <laughs> but the point is, is that it doesn't really matter because that's not what... Um, the actual job is. Mm. So whether we can completely identify that thing or, and locate it or not is not so much of the issue. But the issue, in fact, is that doing that kind of investigation is a wholesome thing to do. But if you start feeling bad because you can't catch it, then that's unwholesome. Yeah. But if you enjoy the investigation to try to figure out who you are, guess what? That's actually the whole purpose of the Eightfold Noble Path, for you to figure out that you're not who you thought you were. That's really, really it. That whatever we are in this present moment is almost undefinable, but it will be different than the next moment. And if you wrote down on a piece of paper today who you thought you were, and you got four or five pages going or something like that, Next week, you read that over and you want to start scratching stuff off. <laughs> yeah. And then, because naturally, when, when, these, when we start to think that way and start to practice that way, but I also feel like there's this point where that should never be stopped, but because it's, that should never be stopped, but it's another thing when you're in the face of something that really is causing... Yeah. Let me interrupt just enough uh, to say, rather than saying should never be stopped, the way to right way to say it is every time we remember. Yeah, yeah. Every time we remember, we're going to start investigating and take a look at what's going on. And so, 
do you think that when we like as practice people like meditators and stuff like that do you think that when we worry about how to cope with suffering that we are doing the wrong thing well if they're practicing correctly they probably have not to say if they've been practicing at all then they have probably developed some skills for coping with it but if they've been practicing it correctly they're coping with it by not coping with it <sighs> by throwing okay. it out okay that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah it's not, not worth coping keeping. mechanisms if we throw yeah. something out we don't have to cope with it anymore yeah and it's not worth keeping like at all it, you know yeah. Our past is not worth keeping. That's a good, important point, because I try to make that on a regular basis to students, that our, our past and our memory of our past is spotty at yeah. best. We don't have good, accurate information. Not only that, but when we collected it, we generally would collect our traumas rather than our high points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. That, Example is little Johnny can be writing on the wall for 10 or 20 minutes. He's doing a beautiful piece of art. Mom comes in and she gets fussy. Yeah. And, and we. Yeah. And so now we remember when, you know, we got busted for writing on the wall rather than uh, how beautiful our art was. And he could have been a Picasso. <laughs> but oh no, he carries around. I can't do it. I'm yeah. not good at it. I shouldn't no. do it. A lot of it. No... I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm listening. No, I, I was saying that it's funny because I was reading a book called uh, I think it's the body keeps the score, and uh -huh. and it it's very related to what you're saying about the 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 emotional brain, and then there's the like it's very interesting because it really changed my perspective about how like the body plays a role in the meditation. Like it's very about waking up in this body and seeing it as a body, as just that, a body. Like, and not like a separate thing from myself or someone else or something. And then I get those, I start to think that. And then sometimes when I um, uh, think about death, like, and I think about it because I want to know like how it feels. Like I'm, like, I want to know how, what, how would I react in the moment if that were to happen to me, right? To, to me, like the idea of me. And it's always like, it's been such a powerful reality because when, because you've given me permission to just like go, like, <laughs> like, and usually, because we usually, it takes us someone else sometimes to tell us that. So it's like, when I think about the things that make me who I am, like, my father, my mother, whatever, you know, so many things that make us who we are. It's like when we lose all that, when we realize either, like, I feel like, because I've met so many people and when I try to talk to them about this, it's either they, they, they only see suffering or you see the freedom. Because it's always like, like, I can be saying, you can be free, it's okay, you can chill. And they'll be like, no, it's suffering. It's it's too no one can escape. It's inescapable. But like it's that permission, like like that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh -huh. It's you... almost pre-verbal. It's hard to say. You just 
let it go. Yeah, and and I I have this weird feeling like that like almost as if like I can't escape myself. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. The no escape, the feeling trapped. Some people call it um, people who live lives of quiet desperation. Some people call it a, a deep scream inside. Yeah, like it's like it's like in my chest, but it's not affecting my mind. But I can see it. Like there. It Others is. will call it emptiness. That yeah. there's a gaping hole. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! You know, I'm sorry. Every time you say stuff, sometimes it's just like. Like, you know, like connect, 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 connect. Yeah. Other people can call it a longing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a calling. Something okay. that's drawing yeah. us, but we don't know what it is, but it winds up being a longing or a calling deep inside. Yeah, and it's a good feeling, though. It doesn't turn out to be that bad, like as much as you really think. Well, every meditator who begins to practice correctly be, starts to run across this. When it's really strong, we can call it anxiety. But at the bottom of it is a level of fear. And that fear tends to be there whether we need it or not. In other words, you can look around your room right now and you're completely safe. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing dangerous in there. You don't have any alligators and no snakes. So the thieves are not banging on your door. The cops are not trying to break in. You're safe. Well, why don't we feel safe? That's the whole thing. And and that's where it's the work is. Like and yeah. you'd think in this present moment when people look around and they say, Okay, I'm safe right now, they could feel safe. Yeah. That's what we're all about, is go ahead and allow yourself to feel safe right now because you, the wisdom shows you you are safe. There is no danger here. Yeah, that at the end of it, it's like, it's almost like there's this little thin line between everything and me. And it's like right in my chest, it feels. Mm -hmm. So whenever you recognize that, you can, there's several things that you can do. One of them is to recognize that that feeling is unwholesome because it's keeping you from feeling quite nice, quite wonderful. So in a way, it's kind of a teacher. It's waking, it's ringing a bell. It's saying, pay attention to something here. Yeah. And but so it you can, thank it you. Doesn't, it doesn't feel bad. It feels more like a very powerful feeling of not anxiety, but of knowing that it's so hard to explain it. It's, you know, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, now, when people don't yeah. recognize it, see, you're, now you're beginning to understand something. You're seeing something. Um, as you're seeing it and it's becoming revealed to you, you know it's been there. Yeah. And that you're yeah. uncovering something. It's not that now that I'm meditating, I begin to feel bad in a new way. Oh, no, I begin to understand that I've been feeling bad in an old way, and I can see it new now. Okay. Okay, so it's been subconscious. Okay. That's, 
but is also a drive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a longing. It's a needing. It has demands. And so a lot of one's activities in life has to do with unconsciously trying to get rid of that feeling by giving it what it wants. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so it's kind of like a quiet master. It's almost like a silent partner. The one who really runs the show. Okay, yeah. the back the back side of it, okay? And that it, you can also see that it has the quality of being unhappy or dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. And it needs something. And when you phrase it in the sense of a hole or a gaping uh, missing something inside, then when the Christians hear that, they'll say, oh, that hole is God-shaped. And all you need to do is put God into that hole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Jesus-God combination or whatever, they'll make you a stew. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that stew then, I guess, will harden into the right shape and fill that hole. But within the teachings of the Buddha, we say no let's not try to fill that hole because everybody's been trying to fill that hole has always come away not successful. It can't be filled up, can't be satisfied. Burnout. Right. Not with bicycles or motorbikes or a skateboard or a car or a girl or a house or another Mm -hmm. friend. Books on Dhamma, nothing fills this hole. All right? But it's still there, and if we're wise, we'll learn how to deal with it wisely. Yeah. Now, if we deal with it ignorantly, here's a good example of that. The guy, this is really old times, way back in the dark past, and he's living in a hovel, and he's laid down for the night, and he has this come up, this internal anxiety, and he says, I don't know. I don't know. Then he said, oh, I know what. And so he goes out and he mends the fence because he recognizes that the fence needs mending. And if he doesn't mend the fence, the the wolves will get in or the sheep will get out. Mm -hmm. And so he spends part of the night repairing the fence. And then he goes back and he lays down in his hovel and the feeling comes back. Generally, maybe what (laughs) happened is the feeling was there, but while he was mending the fence, he didn't feel it. He wasn't watching it. But when he got quiet and alone, then he become aware of that feeling again. Yeah. That, that feeling of quiet desperation. That feeling that something is not right and I need to fix it in order to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boredom, really. Like that boredom. Pardon? The boredom, boredom. right? Boredom, boredom yeah. is one of them. Yes, exactly. Restlessness and boredom are, in fact, the same thing. Then the restless aspect of it is what gives rise to anxiety, and the boredom aspects winds up in depression. And anxiety and depression, now they've got directly linked. The psychologists have finally put that together, that the same person will have both anxiety and depression. That, in fact, if he doesn't have anxiety, he won't get depressed. 
Yeah, but if you possible. do something else with that anxiety, like go out and kill a cop or something. <laughs> so what we need to do is we need to deal with that deep, deep level of unsatisfaction. And we can actually trace it down that its root is in fear. Yeah. Fear that something is not good enough. To where, in fact, you look around and your wisdom says things are good enough right now. Settle down already. Yeah. yeah. We can recognize that that fear is setting off false positives. We're in the habit of setting off false positives. Yeah, like uh, judgment. And, and it first expresses itself when you can see it the way that you're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But as you begin to examine it, you'll begin to recognize, for number one thing, it may be there, but it's not going to run your life anymore. You're going to yeah. start to become aware of it. Yeah. It's very, it's getting, it's getting less over time. Over time. Mm -hmm. Well, whenever you're aware of it, every yeah. time you're aware of it, there it is. And so you think it's there all the time. Yeah. But it may not be there all the time. Yeah. Okay. So the so now the job is is can you can you look examine and find that at this particular moment it's not there because then you will be in the third noble truth at that moment. Yeah. So what can you do to to uh, to mollify or to um, uh, satisfy that feeling inside? And so this is where the breathing can come in, is to start thinking about that part of the body that has those sensations while taking deep breaths there with the idea or the thought that I can take care of this. This is no longer going to be an issue for me. I can handle this feeling, yeah. this, this longing, this hole, this quiet scream, this dissatisfaction. I can deal with it. Yeah, I can breathe into it and breathe out of it and let go of it and feel satisfied. And then yeah. I say, oh, yeah, boy, I feel so good to be free from that. And it's, um, it's, uh, how do you say it? It's, it's like, uh, and I had the word of it. Uh, oh, that feeling you were mentioning, the one, the, the angst, um, so that that feeling, because that feeling and it's in its regard to that feeling, that feeling is not like if I if I sit alone for long enough or if I'm doing nothing for a long enough time, mm -hmm. it it feels as if the body is in danger. It it makes it react that way, like it seems to be that way that the body is in danger, and I feel like that's where people and and me and, and anyone can freak out like can really freak out and i wonder when moments that's like why that people do feel freak out that's yeah. in fact that's the low grade freak out that can become very very strong when a whole lot of that poison adrenaline and cortisol gets released into the body yeah. Uh, the the most recent, very very clear example of that is George Floyd, 
I have now seen the very, very early videos of the first moment with the contact with the police, and he was immediately so afraid of them that he was pleading with them, crying with them, pleading, please don't kill me, don't shoot me. You know, he was completely freaked out. And because he was freaked out and so full of fear, he was uncontrollable for them. And anything they tried to do, he would get freaked out all the more. But instead of standing with him and calming him down, they're going to do things that cops do that's going to get him and keep him in a freaked out position. Like yeah. handcuffing him, throwing him to the ground, and putting their neck on him. And he's just laying there, just struggling, trying to get out because he's completely freaked out. And so naturally the cop's going to go down even harder. Settle down, guy. Get off of your fear tactic, okay? And he couldn't. So that's a clear example of people getting killed because of their fear. Another example of it is the dogs. Dogs know fear. If someone comes in the yard and they're afraid of the dogs or they're strangers or whatever, the dogs will pick up on that. But even if the person the dog's forgotten or they don't know him or maybe uh, a friend of Tam and she's come, uh, knows him from someplace else and they arrive to the house, they see the dogs are not afraid at all. And when they're not afraid of the dog, the dogs will go and check it out and whatnot, but they're not outraged. They're not bark, 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 bark. Yeah. So fear is quite destructive. Yeah. When we are afraid, we cannot think. I think when it's like, I'm sorry, it's like the opposite. It's, I feel like it's the opposite of Nibbana. It's like, like, it's like there's a whole nother level of, of loss of control that is unwholesome. And then there's the letting go of control that is wholesome. Would you say that? You have to get it to the point that it's okay that what you're doing is correct and proper because the other side of it is no matter what I do, it's wrong. And yeah. therefore, we'll keep the, the fear going. Okay. But if you already have the idea that I can handle this, then yeah. it doesn't really matter how you handle it. You know you can handle it, and you do. And there you go. <laughs> I did that okay. one. Okay. okay. That's the important point is the attitude of the can do. I can handle this. I do not have to give in to this feeling. I can take a deep breath and watch it float away. Or I can uh, soothe myself and give myself good thoughts. Like, I'm really glad I can see that. It's not going to control me anymore. Yeah, I feel like I we're... I can give that up as a habit. I can have better habits. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like, uh, I think it's just like, I'm, as a, as in this culture, I think that I was taught, like, there's always has to be an answer. There always <laughs> like, what? Has to be, uh, an answer. An answer. Yeah. To like the things that you feel and that there should be closure and that there should be some type of like, uh, going and figuring it out. And some some yeah. questions have answers and some don't. Yeah. Uh, basically, we could say a why question doesn't deserve an answer, but a how question okay. 
Yeah. That has some value. How can I throw that out? Not where did it come from or how did I get this way? or Because that's all part of the pity party. Mm-hmm. That's all part of the doubt about how, to, can I, how did I get wind up in this situation? In other words, how can I get help to get out of it? Yeah. Ah, uh, so that we have to put away and to have that lion's attitude. I don't care what this stuff is. I can handle this. I can take a deep breath and manage this. I do not have to feel afraid or whatever word we want to put on to it. Yeah, yeah. If I feel like lacking something, wanting something we don't have, um, a yeah. hole inside, a quiet scream, a life of quiet desperation, we all have this, and it comes from a leaky adrenaline gland. I see, yeah, uh, okay. I've heard this, I've heard this before, about this adrenaline, like the, the whole body, the, the reason that we're not, like there's so no equilibrium at all. Mm-hmm. We're so we're put into a state of flight or fright unnecessarily. Yeah. Even though it's low grade, it's still that flight or fright. We've got to do something. We've mm-hmm. either got to defend ourselves or run away from here. We've got to either do something or go someplace. Mm-hmm. But we can, in fact, sit here and say, never mind. You're okay. Down, boy. Everything's going to be all right. No place to go. Nothing to do. Take a deep breath and relax. And and should that be a slow, it should be a slow process, right? Because I've learned from you that, like, don't sit for a long time, you know, relax and do it something else. And mm-hmm. but for, because in the beginning, I think I, I don't know if I did a lot of damage because I did so much. And I feel like, and then I burned out so many times. And then it's like, and you don't right you so feel... many failures right that's what we put up with uh beginning meditators we always do it wrong yeah and then we, keep... we want too much out of it rather than recognizing no this is the solution to me wanting something stop wanting things instead of wanting so much <laughs> and and because I, I just sometimes i worry like about my own mental health like because sometimes like I don't want to push myself to the point where it's like, oh, man, you know, you did it too much. Like, you didn't give compassion. You just wanted to throw yourself into that. And, um, like, I don't know how to, sometimes you don't know where to, where, like, uh, all this stuff is kind of just old, but in the sense of just, it's, you're kind of, like, deconditioning my mind. So sometimes it's hard to, like, because sometimes I feel like I want to talk about like all of these mystical little things that look like, like, and get into these little details. And uh, it can be frustrating sometimes. Well, that frustration, though, and the little things that you're talking about, that too needs to be seen. Yeah. Okay. That's part of the investigation. Yeah. Because actually those kind of things are not really all that wholesome now, are they? Yeah, and that's the hardest one for people like that, like spiritual experiences and things like that. Like for me, like, you know, like as a young person, seeking out experiences. The, the term is spiritual materialism. Yes. Lacking up experiences, right. When I get enough experience, then I'll be an experienced meditator. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're not looking for experience. We're looking for a happy, joyful moment. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because uh, I think we all want to know what happens. Like, we want answers to why, why can we, uh, what's going to happen when we die? What? And then, like, I hear about, like, the fourth jhana and, the, and things like that. And you're like, wow. That's yeah, the answer to life. All kinds of greed, so much greed. Oh, there's so much to do, right? Well, no, the teaching is that the Buddha did there. He went there and he did that, and he's got a different thing. He's got and, into not doing. And do we have to go there? And, and Well, yes, that was the, the story of the Buddha. That I don't know why the Westerners are so into the jhanas, uh, but uh, the Buddha was quite clear that the jhanas were not the path. And he quit the organization that he was associated with when they wanted him to take over and be the head teacher of this jhana. He said, nope. Yeah. And after doing that a couple of times, because he, he knew that jhana was not what he was looking for. But then later, he began to understand, no, it's the first jhana that does have value. Okay. Because we actually are now having a, a mind that's clear and capable of work. We're, we're in a state of satisfaction and we can see things clearly. And that's the key to enlightenment. That's the middle path. Yeah. Not high into the jhanas and not back into the hindrances. But just that sweet spot of being able to see things clearly. Yeah, and, and I'm... You know what's funny? I feel like I know it's simple, and I really do, and and I believe that. But it's so hard to believe it from without a teacher, because when you see a monk um, being burned alive and he's just okay, or you see something radical like that, you think this guy is unbelievable. But the radical impresses yeah. us. Yeah, exactly. and so we remember the radical. And yeah. so that the radical then is what we remember. So that gets into the thought stream and gets us away from this present moment. This present moment is not radical. So why do people do that? <laughs> they, they distract us. Well, that's because they really must want something really badly. <laughs> yeah, like, it's very, it's very rare to hear. Like, it's, in Buddhism, there is no mention of, of, of like, no mention of uh, cra like these crazy things that we look for, I guess, like gurus flying into your heart and, <laughs> you know, things like that that are really beautiful when you hear about them, but and you want them. And I feel like is, it could be a trap, like maybe. And if that's the whole point, is yeah. that everything like that is just another bobble to sell yeah. on the market. That the whole world, the spiritual world, actually for many people is a spiritual marketplace. Where we have, instead of money and dollar bills or whatever, we have to put in time, time and effort to get these baubles. Yeah. yeah we have to these... put in the work and the struggle and all of that. But the Buddha is saying, no, you don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is to remember you're already okay. Just sit down and enjoy your moment. And Learn to weird. relax. Because when I think about uh, the, the Buddha experience so much, I mean, he probably, you know, experienced things that we wouldn't believe. But like, and then yet yeah, he said it wasn't enough. 
And that's the part that trips me out. It's like he went to the fourth jhana and he said it wasn't enough. Right. Fourth jhana is not enough. However, fourth jhana is a very interesting perch. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. But it's, it's an more interesting like... perch, but that's all it is. It's just a viewpoint or a, a way of putting the mind in a certain position so you can see things in a certain way. <laughs> but it's not the end of suffering until you throw those hindrances back out again. Generally, what would happen is is that people were able to do the jhanas, but then when they got up off of their cushion or out of the meditation hall, all of the stuff came back again. And so the only way to get their mind clean again is to go back into the session and sit back down and go back into the jhanas. And the Buddha says, no, basically we need to just go only to the point, you know, it's like, If you're standing in the road and a truck comes by, all you have to do is just get out of the road, get out of the way of the truck. You don't have to go into the attic of the house to get away from the truck. All you have to do is get out of the road. Okay, yeah, I see. And because it's even question, my question would arise, it's like, okay, he, because you said in a video, like um that the fourth john is the closest thing you can get to death and and so the fourth john is the closest thing you can get to death um yeah yeah. the first john is the closest thing you can get to wake up (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah. that's what it is is to wake up is exactly opposite so yeah the fourth fourth john and then thinking that i'm like okay so is there any answer to life because he saw that he saw that after or whatever is after or what you think might be after. This is the teaching of sunyata. This is the teaching of emptiness. What is the meaning of life? It has no meaning, not life (laughs) itself, but people are very busy trying to make it have meaning. Okay, this is, yes, this is what I would like to hear because so much is meaning, 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 meaning. Meaning is just another mental concept, and you can make a meaning and a concept that feels good, or you can make one that feels bad. Your choice. You can have a a meaning to life that has to do with the Dhamma and friendship and sharing and generosity, or you can have a meaning in life of, I've got to get it all for myself, and I don't have enough, and it doesn't matter who I screw over so long as I get my portion. Yeah, that's that's a way of a meaning of life, and we have a choice. Other than that, the life itself has no meaning on its own. Yeah, yeah. it it doesn't. But our culture teaches us it does because of the roots of Christianity. Christianity gives meaning to life. No, it doesn't. (laughs) It gives you a way of racist, but it doesn't really give any meaning to life. It makes us believe we're important, a crucial part of life. Like, in a sense, we need to be here for everything to be okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's... Yes, absolutely. That's what yeah. it's all about, is to be awake, to be here now, to really get a load of this place. <laughs> yeah, and and it's a beautiful thing. And, and, man, like, I wonder how, I don't like to ask because I feel like it's rude but like I'm I don't know maybe I shouldn't ask but like maybe I'm okay so is is the emptiness like I don't know if you live in that or if you do I assume and 
actually think of emptiness in the sense of something that we thought was there is not there, or something that uh-huh. used to be there is okay. no longer there. An example of it is that when you're in the wilderness or in the retreat or in the forest, like the monks, then the Buddha says, this forest is empty of a village. The only village in this place is the one you brought in here with your own head. But other than that, there is no village here. In another sutta, the Buddha uses an empty sala. That when the sala is not empty, that means there's monks and bowls and clatter and noise and the smell of food. But when the, um, the sala is empty, it's empty of all of those things. But then when the monk comes into the sala and uh, starts to think, he remembers all of the food and all of the monks and all the bowls and all the clatter because it's in his head. But the reality is, is that there are no monks, there are no bowls, there is no clatter, there is no smell of food. It's all imaginary. In, not in the sense that we would probably think it's imaginary either. Okay, so we can do this with our own mind. Mm-hmm. In the sense of that dukkha that used to be there is not there now. Yeah, and that's, so that's the whole, part of the investigation, yeah. right? Is to begin to investigate to recognize not just what I'm feeling, but what did I used to feel that I'm not feeling right now? Yippee ki yo ki yay, I'm not feeling that way anymore. Yeah, and uh, it feels like when I'm in that state, or when I when I keep it and I continue, it feels as if uh, sometimes we get to this point where we kind of don't know what to do. And we doubt, we start to doubt, and then because we start to slack off, and um, because we think we've arrived, but you never really do arrive in that sense, do you? Like in the sense of, it never stops. Like eventually it's just effortless, but it never stops, right? Well, no, no, it seems to never stop. Okay. But basically, you don't know that. You just know that when you think about it being there, there it is. That's another thing, though. How do you, how do you, how do you let go of that intention of thoughts? Like, you can't just, like, in it just stop uh, thinking. By, by first off, the important thing through the investigation is to recognize that thought is not wholesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Aha! Uh-huh, I see you, Mara. That. The, that's the, the point of wisdom coming in or the point of investigation is oh, I see you all right, and you are Dukkha and you are an uninvited guest and you're here to you know you're here to destroy my party and you're not going to out you go and so the bouncer part of the mind the bouncer is the one who can grab him up and throw him out of here the right effort I do not have to think about that and then the next thought is, well, I'm glad I don't have to think about that. I can sit here and enjoy the moment anyway. Wow, and I have wow. had that. It is so powerful that here I am just grinding away, thinking about I've got to write an email to somebody because he really did cross it. I mean, he really screwed that up, and I really need to straighten him. Wait a minute. I see that. I don't have to write that email right now. 
Wow, I can be relieved. I don't have to think about the helm. I don't have to think about the email. I don't have to think about what he told me. I can just stop it and enjoy the moment. Yeah. And, and if I, I do that often enough, I'll wind up not writing that email and everything is okay. If I write that email, he's not going to like it. He's going to skew and stew and then write another email back. And after, you know, here we go. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's when, because uh, one thing I learned, I feel is like that when your mind is like that, when it's not distracted, when it's, when it's in samadhi, right? When it's unified, is that's when, so is the, it feels like, at least when I felt like, at least when I experienced it, it felt like unstoppability, <laughs> like unstoppability, no stopping. Yeah. Okay, I think that what you're saying, the unstoppability then could be part of the attitude. I've got this now. Yeah, but it became an intent, like it became who I was, but not in the sense of clinging but it was very free very i can move around i can i can precisely mm -hmm. i can jump you know like it feels like that <laughs> good excellent <laughs> and 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 what do we we just go back right we just once we see that we're not in that state we just go, go again. back into it and okay. the more often you go into it then that's building the skill of being able to go into it often Okay. And the longer you can maintain it, builds the skill of uh, being able to sustain it and maintain it. So those are the two skills. One is to get into a state of delight, and two is to maintain that state of delight. And if you can get into a state of delight and maintain that state of delight, what else do you want in life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds good to me, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just sometimes we hear a lot of different things about meditation, like the white lights and the metas and uh, all these different things. And we wonder if we're missing out on something, you know, like, is there something that we're missing out on? You know, sometimes well, that's because you've been taught your whole life that you're missing out on something and you got to work really hard to get it. Yeah. Only guess what? You never get out. You never get it. You're always missing out. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, how it all... That's that, that's that feeling that we're talking about, is the feeling of having missed out on something. Yeah. And, and when we can see that feeling, we can say, I see you. I see you deep down inside, screaming because you think you've missed out on something. You haven't missed a thing. Enjoy. And we it's shouldn't... a lie we tell ourselves. Another way of saying it is a false positive. Yeah. And okay. have you ever have you ever encountered this before? Like this feeling with every that... student. But I mean, like in an, maybe a example where a monk or 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 a student where he did too, he overdid it. That he was looking for so much that it was just too much. Like it, it kind of. It's never too much ne too much is an attitude of i can't do it it's an attitude of failure this moment cannot be too much here it is this is it no, i meant like uh seeking out so many experiences that it kind of just yeah now that's the point is when because now we're desperate for greed again we want we want we want we want instead of just being satisfied 
with how things are right now. And that can drive someone to give up, right? Because they wouldn't, they wouldn't even it see drive that. people to do all kinds of things. Okay. That in fact is quite, quite interesting. The Buddha would, had said, and he said this to Rahula, he says that if you are dishonest and don't say the truth, and I guess he means both internally and externally, then you're capable of anything. Well, yeah, that's good. If you're willing to tell a lie about something, that means that you're capable of doing anything. If it gets bad enough or hard enough, or you get back into a deep enough corner, you'll do anything. Wow, yeah. Yeah. And and so uh, that's something that we can begin to work with um, in the sense of really looking at what's going on, to be honest with ourselves. And that's that, funny because I was, uh, I was, I was going to ask you, what would you recommend for someone to do or me to do? Like with the self, how does someone cultivate that? It's through investigation. Through the investigation. Okay. Keep looking, keep witnessing, keep keep monitoring, keep... keep uh, uh, looking because every moment you have a new opportunity to look if you remember yeah and so yeah there's a lot of looking going on and you'll begin to connect dots and put things together and figure it out and when you do then great inspiration comes great yeah. insight is by keep mulling it over thinking about it applying it watching this breath etc like that and so what do you think about the modern masters, like, and all those meditations and things like that, where it was like, you see like their gurus or their masters or their teachers being in these states of heightened perception, where they're using it for good. Basically what you could say is they're all either pointing in the same direction or they're a bit confused. But by and large, the whole group is basically all pointing in the same direction. Yeah. Because they just I got really, a lot of different little ways of doing it that you can yeah. see. And uh, that I, I, looking back, in fact, uh, even though I left Goenka in 1982 83 time frame, still I reference him because of all the good things that I got out of him. Yeah. That I really do incorporate his teaching into uh, the teaching that I have now. Uh, so I really never abandoned that. Yeah, because Every when you teacher has his value. When you look at people like Deepama, um, and you hear about these things about her, I wouldn't say I don't like to say um, psychic powers, but when you hear about those things, and you're like, is that a thing that we should even be exposed that, to that much? Or I would say because um, see, it distracts that, us. It's a distraction. And should it's we a, be it's a major distraction because that if if we believe in magic, then we begin to lust for it. We want to see it. We don't really believe it deep inside, and we want to see it for ourselves. And then we want to control it and be magical, and then we can be a deepama or something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We all want to be that like little like. Uh-huh. little Crisis. Others are like that with meditation teachers in general, that uh, they they see how much respect the meditation teacher gets, so they want to be a meditation teacher too. 
I've had those okay. thoughts of grandeur, of the grandeur and all that. It all has to do with greed, wanting things we don't have, yeah. rather than being satisfied with the things that we do have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at a deep level, I think we all want that deep connection with someone, but um, like those people had with, with their students. But the deep connection that we have is our environment. We need to become deeply connected to it by being with it and present to it and be here now to let this marvelous environment nurture us rather than in our heads wondering where we can get nurturing. Yeah. And do, and do you think it was probably a bad idea to let all those stories out? Like about like all those things that, that those people did about like and how... You know, and they were saying that they trained certain people and, and these abilities, all of that. And I don't know, it just seems like what was what was the point of, of sharing that? I would say this. Yeah. That we can be very kind and call it magic. We can also be kind and call it ignorance of wanting things we don't know. But we can also go to the point of calling it a pack of lies. You think so? Yeah. I wouldn't I, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't say. <laughs> well, I'm polite. <laughs> it's, it's, not only is it a pack of lies, but it was a pack of lies that were designed to, if people believe those lies, to behave and do the very things that you're talking about when you do believe that stuff. Okay, it gets you dependent upon the lie teller because now he has knowledge that you don't have and he wants you to want it from him so he can sell you something. Yeah. And maybe what he wants you to give him is adoration. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm learning a lot through this conversation because I feel like sometimes um, we want to somehow... Uh, by helping people, we don't think that we're enough, like that we can do it. And um, actually that here's something about that. Then we can say that each one of us, from the way that we were trained, either by ourselves or something mom said, and sometimes they do it overtly. And that is, is to tr teach this child to become special or that he is special that he's different than other kids, that he's either better or not as good at, but is always in comparison to other things. Mm. It's a big part of our society. And the teachings of the Buddha is all about coming out of that part of society that is comparing and judging. Because if you're comparing and you're judging to anyone else, then it's hard to be friends with him. But if you can drop all of that comparing and all of that judging, then you can just be friends. Yeah. Okay, but our society sets it up for us to be in competition. And it's very... Not necessarily, okay. Here's uh, the way that they you can talk about it is there's two kinds of games that we can play. There's the kind of game to where we're just having fun, maybe playing tag or whatever. And then there's the kind of games that keep score and have a winner or a loser and sometimes a prize or something, okay? <laughs> Basically, we should learn to play uh, the game of life 
so that it has no winners and losers. It's just enjoying the game. Yeah. But the way that people have learned to play the game through the society is not only do we play the game, we got to keep score. Yeah. And the if we're keeping score, that means that the score is important. No, the score is not important. <laughs> but we have made it artificially important so that we can judge ourselves better than someone or less than someone else because of the score that's being made. The karma, the karma machine. And while we're trying to make the score, we're not enjoying the game. We think that if we make the score, then we can enjoy the game because I got a score. Now I can feel good. Yeah. Yeah. But I can feel good and play the game and let you have the score. (laughs) We both feel good. And so you would say that all of that, not all of it, but let's just say that some of the stories that they wrote about Deepama and that when they felt her presence and her peace, I just. Yes, if he demonstrates being present and if he demonstrates being at peace, if he demonstrates a big smile, then all of that's genuine. But if somebody tells you a story about how much power he's got, you should investigate closely before you believe any of oh, that. Yeah, I've heard bad stories actually about that, like really bad ones that aren't good. But uh, I think I'm learning a lot because like, like it's very, for me, it's more about like these things sometimes. Like I'm very like, okay, okay, family, okay, I can leave. But is it, are you going to be able to let go of like the stuff that you really love? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the things that you really think are important better than your family or better than your sister or better than this. Like, you know, the Dhamma is better than rather than the Dhamma is everything. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So the real issue now then is that the judgment call is based upon suffering and no suffering. Yes. Rather than because of the artificial wind. Can, can I feel good right now? That's the real question. Yeah. Okay, so you go practice that. Get in touch with those feelings inside and say, hey man, everything is cool. I can breathe into that and feel good. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Dennis. We'll check you later. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>